0: As heads, dearly father, thank you so much for this privilege, this honor, frankly, of gathering together as family and a unity that you've provided for us by faith. Thank you for always being with us every step of the way. Father, thank you for encouraging us. Thank you for your grace, your mercy in time of need. Thank you for your love. Father, may that love be expressed through this ministry to those that can't be with us this morning as members of it. Our hearts go out to them. We want them to know that we're with them with spirit or in spirit. Father, we're just so grateful for this opportunity to gather together. We wish they were with us. But we understand your ways are not always our ways. Father, we pray also for those that are still lost in this world without hope. That they be humbled and receive saving faith before it's too late, Father. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross 2,000 years ago, to cancel out that debt and to make times and moments like this just incredible times to rejoice. We do just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, part 22 of Proverbs 17 Wisdom, we're coming off of um, several sort of related um, components of our curriculum. Uh, If you didn't listen to last Sunday's special message, uh, please do. It was titled, Please Don't Feel Lonely, Disconnected, Uh, and Depressed. Um, The Spirit Had Me Do... A review of that message on Thursday as well, um, and the additional thoughts from Thursday's message were around this conflict that exists in us between, you know, our just uh, our raw emotions. If we're honest, we have certain emotions in us that can cause a bit of um, conflict because they sometimes run, apparently, contrary, technically speaking, to Holy Writ, Holy Scripture, right? Um, And it causes a sort of conflict in us, and it may even, as the Spirit brought out earlier, it may even cause a type of shame, like, what's wrong with me? Why am I feeling this way in light of Holy Scripture? that says, I literally should be feeling the exact opposite. I should be rejoicing, right? Rejoice always. And you're like, why am I not rejoicing always? Why am I not skipping, you know, skip to the loo through the dandelion field? Why am I not, those even exist? I don't think so. People, it's usually people's front lawn who don't take care of the lawn. Anybody, nobody? Why am I not skip to the loo through the, through the, you know, the fields? For example, up here on the board, Philippians 4, 6 to 7 reads quite clearly, Do not be anxious. And just so you know, in the original language, in the Greek, it's the imperative mood which makes it a command. It's a command. In other words, you know, it's not a suggestion even. It's literally a command. Right? What happened? Did something just happen up there? What was it? What did I miss? Again? It just, it just went out. Just, something just, just keep going. Okay. If the camera comes back, I don't know what's going on, folks. So, hey, thank God you're here today, right? You would have been just, I don't even know, probably just got audio. Or just keep it on the slides until you get a camera back. It'll be like the days of old with COVID in the beginning. <sighs> so many distractions. For starters, Philippians 4, 6 to 7, do not be anxious. Again, it's not a suggestion. It's literally a command. It's the imperative mood in the Greek which makes it a command. And it says about what? Some things? It says do not be anxious about anything. That takes everything off the table. But, 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 no. No buts. You have a command and over a sweeping command that says, do not be anxious about anything. No loopholes. Clearly stated doctrine in Holy Scripture. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus now couple that with the encouragement to appear in the board first peter 5 7 casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you so that's a pretty powerful pair of statements is it not on the topic of say anxiety so technically speaking Should we just, uh, you know, follow the commands in the Bible and all will be well? I mean, what's the problem? Just follow the commands. Don't be anxious. And cast all your anxieties on him. Done, right? Then you're skipping again. As in we'll never be anxious again because the, uh, you know, the Bible commands it. I'm being silly, right? There is an element missing in this conversation. It's a little thing called faith. And that's been the the meat of the messages, right? He kind of piques our attention. He kind of grinds into us a little bit. He says, I don't know, man. You people that are lonely or anxious or whatever, He kind of uses that to open up the conversation. It's not necessarily um, always the same uh, thing, vehicle, topic. He tends to skip around just to make sure everybody can can participate. (laughs) Um, But he opens up the conversation to something that essentially is the healing ointment to all of it which is faith, up here on the board. I'm going to see a lot of this topic this morning. Commands require faith for obedience to have its intended result. Commands require faith for obedience to have its intended result. As a side note, this is why religiosity never works. Religiosity, I mean, being religious for the sake of being religious, being a, a, a do-gooder, so to speak. Do you understand? There's only faith in the activity, but there's no love and respect for God's command. That's what religiosity is. And so that's a, what you would call an um, obedience without true faith. And so to the point of the board, commands require faith for obedience to have its intended result. In other words, not just enough to, quote, obey for the sake of obeying. For example, a well-intentioned believer can hear a command clearly stated in the Bible and still lack the faith for it to impart deliverance to their soul. I mean, it'd be great if I had enough faith to follow that command 100% of the time. My life would probably be a lot easier, a lot simpler. So even well-intentioned believers can hear a command clearly stated in the Bible and still lack the faith for it to impart deliverance to their soul. In fact, they might even attempt to, you know, quote, do the command... But without faith, there's still no deliverance. You're just sort of playing a game. It's a charade. In other words, you might know something to be true, but again, you still don't have the necessary faith to take the leap, right? To abandon your comfort zone, or what you know, you know, where you're comfortable being. Look at this picture. Hopefully you can see it. This is a picture from uh, atop a top of a can you see it? Look at that picture. Oh, there it is. That's someone's feet. And you can see it's like a gorge. Way to- this person's sitting on the top of a bridge. <sighs> Suppose someone says to you, I'll give you $1 million to bungee jump off this bridge. Hmm. You know, and and to be fair, just for the sake of this little story, the bungee cord has been tested like a million times, um, so there's no way it's going to break or anything like that. So, for the sake of this story, suppose that you personally are 100% confident that the cord won't break, like you're literally. All right, yeah, I, I get it. The cord's not going to break. Why do you hesitate then? Why do you hesitate? Faith. Faith. That's literally what it is. It comes down to faith. You know something to be true, but yet you still hesitate to take that leap. That's faith. So even when you know in your brain that you'll be safe, you fear taking the leap of faith. You even have a certain anxiety about the outcome. You know, maybe if, oh, I don't know, maybe if the bridge were just a little lower. Oh. Uh, or maybe if you can inspect the bungee cord one last time. Or maybe if someone installs a safety net or maybe some of that would, you know, quell your fears. Maybe if you just take it slow and, you know, work your way up to the, to the big leap, you'd be okay. It's starting to make a little more sense, right? Isn't that the same in the spiritual life? I mean, don't we walk before we run? Yeah. We know from Holy Scripture that God's never going to let us down. And yet, we don't really trust Him, do we? We know, Holy Scripture says, I'm never going to leave. I'm never going to, I got you. And then what? And he says, I just want you to take this leap of faith, okay? For me. I got you. What's the problem? Why not just be like, you know, bunzai? Every time, without hesitation. And don't be one of those, you know, morons that say, you know, oh, oh, you know, I do really trust him, mister. I think it'd take me about three seconds, maybe less, to find something in your life where you lacked faith in clearly stated promises of God. Maybe four seconds, okay? Maybe you're an iceberg. Again, the conundrum is you know something to be true, but you still don't have the necessary faith to take the leap. For example the Bible clearly states we just saw it as the, in the imperative mood, as a command. Do not be anxious. And yet, who in here can actually say that they are 100% free of anxiety? Anyone? I mean, it's pretty arrogant to make such a claim. I mean, even if you're an outlier, you know, you're one of those you know, you have a relatively low uh, level of anxiety in your life in general, Uh, you're still anxious about something. Nobody's void of anxiety. But yet we have, there's that command. I mean, what's the issue then? Faith. Faith. That's the issue. To our previous principle up here on the board, commands require faith for obedience to have its intended result. Commands require faith for obedience to have its intended result. This past week, we saw the instigating topic of loneliness. That was a great topic because everybody in here has suffered from it at one point or another in their life, if not presently. Um, As I say that, um, please know that That's all that topic was, by the way. It was just an instigating principle. It's just an instigating topic. It was just something, like I said, to kind of crack open the conversation between you and the Lord. right? An instigation to drum up a broader understanding of how emotions and faith fit together in the most practical sense. In other words, why is there that chasm? that exists between us and the word of truth. Faith. So here's the principle from Thursday up here on the board. Emotion without faith, like any emotion we have in time, loneliness in the absence of faith is destined to bear bad fruit. With faith, though, we bear good fruit. In other words, we return to God to find grace to help in time of need. That's Hebrews 4.16. That's that distinction. It's an emotion without faith. If we have, uh, again, like any emotion, like loneliness, uh, in the absence of faith, it's destined to bear bad fruit. But with it, we bear good fruit. This is why the Spirit pointed our attention to the following principle as well up here in the board fiery darts from our enemies are intended to fracture our faith. The kingdom of darkness, all right, what's honestly, if you if you're a, if you're a if you're a manipulative jackass. Some of you are like, oh, way to control any, just get them spun up in a little emotionalism and then, you know, just add some fuel to the fire. Get them so spun up you just put a little ring through their nose and go throw it over your, a chain over your shoulder and go you can walk them anywhere you want because they're a complete mess. They're a train wreck. Why? Because they're spun up in emotionalism. That's what our enemies want to do to you. They want to take what could be an emotion used for good and they want to pervert it. So they start whispering in your ears. You know, this is what we call fiery darts in the Bible, right? Just little whisperings from the world. You know how it is. Usually there's an agent involved, like a human, you know, in a variety of formats and timing and all that stuff but to the point of the board that's what those fiery darts are meant to do fiery darts from my enemies are intended to fracture our faith to fracture our faith and honestly if i mean if i think about it i've got to admit if we were if i was standing on the top of the golden gate bridge you know that huge one in san francisco with only a bungee cord tied around Uh, me and and someone said, get ready to jump, I think my heart would be pounding pretty hard. I've never bungee jumped. Even if I thought that bungee was never going to break, I still would be like, it probably hurt, right? Seriously, that's a tall bridge. Whenever we're at a precipice that requires a lot of faith, that we just, you know, maybe we don't have it yet. There's something called pain and suffering involved. There's pain and suffering involved. And that's why people with a lot of faith are, in general, less miserable than people with less faith. People with a lot of faith are generally less miserable than people... With very little faith. A person who's got, you know, 200 bungee jumps under their belt isn't going to have the same reaction as a person with zero when they stand atop that bridge. Likewise, a person whose faith has been tested isn't going to have the same reaction as a newcomer to the faith when faced with a crisis or something. In any case, because we all lack some faith, the truth is that pain and suffering is a part of the human condition. I mean, if we had perfect faith, we would never be anxious for anything. We would actually be able to follow that command, right? And we wouldn't suffer the pain of anxiety if we had perfect faith. You see? So it's part of the human condition. But, big butt here, right? I'm just kidding. Any he got it? I'm just kidding. Right? <laughs> That's not where it ends. That's not where the story ends. to the contrary. You ready? Since, since an emotion is, uh, emotion is not sin, how could it be? We would have to call love or gratitude sin. May it never be. Emotion's not sin. To the contrary, as, as many of you will attest, with the right amount of faith, this is where the real story begins. This is where the real story begins. So pain and suffering have a purpose. Remember that. That's not a novel concept from this pulpit. Pain and suffering have a purpose. Up here in the board, the purpose of pain. Pain typically doesn't shut up, does it? It's nagging. It doesn't turn off until we address it. It requires some attention. So that's the that's the utility of pain, right? That it it's just like right? <laughs> right? It just won't go away until you address it in this way god uses it to deliver us from the vestiges of sin he may not remove the source of your pain Allah you know Paul's thorn in the flesh 2nd Corinthians 12 7 but regarding the temptation to fail the test he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it 1st Corinthians 10 13 so there's a purpose to pain in other words That ends our review of last Sunday's message, which was titled, Please Don't Be Lonely, Disconnected, and Depressed. So let's get back to brass tacks on our primary course of study, namely, uh, what is this, part 22 of Proverbs 17, Wisdom. So we quickly got resituated on Thursday we didn't have much time at the end of the service, but we started getting resituated by remembering where we left off a couple of weeks back. It's almost, I guess it's close to three now, before I went on vacation. Um, our messages were perched on the concept of this thing called human power. Human power. Right? And there are a pair of principles worth reiterating here, up here on the board. Human power it typically manifests in mankind inventing solutions to problems that God has already accounted for and either solved directly, Philippians 4.19, or given us the means to cope with indirectly, 1 Corinthians 10.13. The corollary was, up here on the board, human power is the fingerprint of sinful man. Believers are called to depend on God's grace. Oh, did I do it again? Oh, you didn't flip it yet? DJ? That Allah is almost a joke at this point. And someone asked me, Do you want to fix it? I said, Nah, it's all done. I'm not going to use it again. There it is. Believers are called upon to depend on God's grace. Allah. Something. Some scripture. My grace is sufficient for you. How about that? Better than a ver. I can quote it. However, a sinful man, unbelievers, and sinning believers depends on his own strength to solve problems. I just had a you know the visual is, you know, you ever see like a, a contractor or a carpenter show up to work? They got their their carpenter's belt and hammer and the thing and the you know, the air guns and the the pencils, you know, you know, the tape measures and, right? That's us. We show up to the job site called Life. I'm ready. Right? And God's like, what are you doing? (laughs) I'm here to solve some problems. I'm here to architect and build some solutions. That's us, because we're morons. Because we lack faith. Because we apparently don't trust God as master builder. So, what we learned was that this exercise of human power reveals a lack of faith. Maybe that's why we engineer ways to, you know, get off that bridge instead of taking the leap of faith. We figure out a way down, a way off. We engineer something other than the the avenue that God is asking us to take. Maybe that's why, when God leads us to any place that requires a leap of faith, we often begin creating our own solutions. ask yourselves when's the last time you've done such a thing when's the last time you engineered a solution to a problem that you knew from clearly stated holy scripture you knew you knew it you've read it you can you can picture you can picture the passage it's imprinted on your brain you might even be able to regurgitate it word for word. You know it's true. You know God has your back, and still you chose to come up with an alternative plan. I mean, was it last week? Was it yesterday? Was it this morning? Are some of you doing it right now? Right? Some of you, sadly, and I'm not throwing stones. This is not about that. Sadly, some of you are currently living in the ungodly situation that you architected in lieu of God's grace planned for you. In other words, it's not, not even this morning. There's a living and abiding um, errancy, uh, living in uh, a solution that you architected in instead of actually leaning on the grace of God. For example, I am, as is DJ, I believe, because we often have um, chats about this and why people just... Um, fail and fall away from the faith, even. I'm convinced that the greatest area of human power and invention is in the area of human relationships. Convinced of it. And there's a lot of dastardly deeds that go on in business, uh, in life, and (laughs) all kinds of things, right? A lot of human invention But I would argue that the leader is in terms of human relationships. People have little to no patience when it comes to relationships, especially romantic ones, especially romantic ones. Now, before we even read the passage or this passage that's coming up, That the Spirit's got in store for us, just think about um, the ungodly, the ungodly encouragement Hollywood spews on this topic. Just think about the ungodly encouragement that Hollywood, for example, think about all the books about romance and so called love. Think about the very fabric of our society. Just look around. Look at the very fabric of our society and how it's constructed and how all roads lead to this error one way or another. I mean, God forbid a person actually remains single. For real. Like, oh my, what, oh my God. I mean, people can't even understand such a thing. I mean, people only spend about, what, a day or a day and a half single in Hollywood? (laughs) Right? I mean, maybe they've slowed down after their eighth or ninth divorce. Maybe they've taken a little hiatus, you know. Maybe they go the other way. You know, experiment as a homo or something like that. No, I mean, you're laughing, but I mean, this, this is the fabric of our society, is it not? Yeah. God doesn't deliver someone up to you, so what do you do? You just engineer your own damn solution on the topic. And I'm not even talking to unbelievers. I'm talking to believers who know what the Bible has to say. Case in point, ever notice how whenever a person meets someone in their, I don't know, their 20s, 30s, or 40s that, you know, happens to be single, and one of the first things they ask is, gee, why are you still single? (laughs) Right? Like, (gasps) what? What a catastrophe. Or, you know, oh, you're single? I've got just the person for you to meet. And it's even more obnoxious if this person happens to be attractive. As if, what, unattractive humans don't count as much? Like it's not, do you get what I'm getting at? It's like our wretched society says, oh, especially if you're attractive too, you know. You should definitely fail this test sooner than later. That's what society tells us. Especially if you're attractive, you should fail this test sooner than later. I mean, you've got currency to spend. You still look pretty good. You've got currency to spend in Satan's unholy economy. So use it while you've still got it, sweetheart. Isn't that the very fabric of our society when it comes to relationships? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole economy is foul-smelling and grotesque. So again, as we read this passage, just think about what our society pumps out as an integral part of itself in terms of human relationships, especially on the romantic level. That seems to be like the, you know, the the pinnacle of it, the, the carried out conclusion of it. And also remember that the church at Corinth was a lot like America is today, rich and perverted. Go to Second Corinthians six verse eleven. Second Corinthians six verse eleven. Second Corinthians six eleven. 6:11. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. Okay. So in other words, your affections are probably skewed here. Misappropriated affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. Do not be... You ready? Verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them. Says who? The Lord. Okay, is that clearly stated scripture? Yes or no? Say again? Yeah, it's literally right there. Like, literally, right there. Okay. Touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you. You shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved. Okay, here comes the faith part, right? Since we have these promises, do you trust him? He's giving you a promise. Do you trust him? In your personal relationships, do you trust Him? Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Any questions? Let us cleanse ourselves From every, does it say some, most, every, every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So the question on the table is, why would any believer ever, honestly, just can you think about this with me for a moment? Let's just be honest. This isn't about... Pastor Ed, you know, coming down on anyone in particular. It's just us, even as a family. Why would any believer ever be so cosmically stupid to engage in a romantic relationship with an unbeliever? Why? It can only mean one thing lack of faith. That's it. Lack of faith. Like I stated earlier, I'm convinced that the greatest area of human power and invention is in the area of human relationships. So the obvious question is, why do people inflict so much guaranteed pain on themselves? Why do people abide in dysfunction junction for so long? lack of faith it's literally that simple it's a lack of faith again the question on the table is this when's the last time you engineered a solution to a problem that you knew from clearly stated holy scripture not unlike what we literally just read that god had your back and still you chose to come up with an alternative plan We just do so many things that reveal a lack of faith. And as we've learned, lowliness is just a really good example of one of those things that Satan in the kingdom of darkness can use to further fracture your walk with God. Do you realize that's what's going on? If you... you, If you grab the hand, if you have fellowship like we just read with an unbeliever who could care less, who has no spiritual apparatus whatsoever for our Lord and Savior, if you grab that person's hand and start walking down, you know, plan B, you're essentially dropping his hand. You're essentially exacerbating that situation what could have been used to God's glory, you have now architected something to your own shame that's a discredit and is dishonorable to the holy God of universe who saw fit to say, I love you enough to save you. And then this is how you're going to treat me. This is where this is going to go at this point. You You trust me enough to save you, but you don't trust me enough To bring good people into your life, people that actually love my son? You're going to architect your own solution to this problem? But I'm lonely. You know what? You're such a stubborn jackass. That's exactly where you need to be. Because every time you're not lonely, you go running down plan B to your own destruction right? You fill your own belly. Remember Chris, right? Your own appetite, your own emotions. You just fill them up. To what? To your own destruction. Why? Lack of faith. Lack of faith. So loneliness was a perfect example. We just pondered all this past week, but you know, here's the general conclusion from Holy Scripture up here on the board. Unless God delivers you, you haven't been delivered. So you're at that fork in the road. Unless God delivers you, unless you take plan A to the glory of God, you're not delivered. So, for example, if you're lonely, then pray that God reveals the purpose of it to you. Pray to God that he reveals the purpose of it to you. And do not run around asking others because you know what? They don't know. How could they possibly know what God knows about you? How could they pop? they don't even have their own crap together. You're going to ask another flawed moron? Honestly, when you've got access to God through prayer? Why would you ever do that thing? Lack of faith. So pray that God reveals the purpose of it to you. Always remember that pain and suffering are ordained by God for a purpose. Yeah, you might be uncomfortable for a little while. Join the club, as Peter would say, right? You're not going through this. It's nothing the brethren are not going through. You know, a pity party doesn't ever help anyone, you know? So just remember that pain and suffering are ordained by God for a purpose. By grace, God can heal your broken heart or your wounded conscience or your frailty, whatever it may be. But you've got to trust Him. You've got to trust them. That's the whole, that's the difference. That's the difference between the miserable person and the one that's not miserable, Faith. The one that's miserable lacks faith and keeps taking plan B. Architects a solution. You've got to trust his word. I mean, Jesus did enough to pray this to his father on our behalf up here on the board. John 17, 17. He said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. We've got to trust the word in order to be sanctified by it. Hence our previous principle up here on the board. Commands require faith for obedience to have its intended result. Commands require faith for obedience to have its intended result. Go to First Thessalonians five, sixteen. First Thessalonians five, verse sixteen. First Thessalonians five, verse sixteen. Says what? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. As we noted last week, all circumstances includes loneliness. Right? Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's continue with this passage this time, though. It says, do not quench the spirit. In other words... (laughs) For some of you, the Spirit was hot just now, right? On fire. That's the fire of the Spirit speaking directly to your soul. And some of you had a bucket of water and went, psh, I don't want to hear it right now. I don't want to hear it right now. I'm halfway down plan B, or I intend to go down plan B. I don't want to hear how God the Holy Spirit is going to destroy this little concoction that I've drummed up, this little architected plan that I've put together, this little solution of my own, I don't want, to, I don't want the spirit to go, <laughs> I want to quench him. I want to put his fervency out for truth. I want to put him away, not my plans. I want to keep my plans. I want to quench The spirit. Does that make sense? Yeah. And what does the Bible say? Verse 19. Do not do that thing. (laughs) Right? Don't do that. And I've had uh, multiple people in the past, and again, I'm not throwing stones. I mean, everybody goes through this. Um, Multiple people tell me, man, my relationship with God right now sucks. Why? Why don't you look at that big pail next to your feet, the one that douses the spirit every time he tries to straighten your act out with you? Why don't you look at that? Maybe that's the culprit, right? Maybe you don't want a relationship with him because as soon as you get close to him, he tells you what you don't want to hear. Do you understand? That's what it means to quench the spirit. He says something directly to you, which is why some of you don't pray anymore the way you should. Some of you have been on hiatus on prayer. Why? Because you don't like what he's telling you. Or you make that horrible, horrible error of blaming me. Don't ever do that. This isn't about me and you. Trust me i got my own problems. I don't need you on top of them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't blame me because God the Holy Spirit has lit a fire under your butt. Don't blame me. I'm just a messenger. Do you understand? That's what that means. Don't quench the Spirit. He's literally your best friend in that moment. When you're at that point, that fork in the road, that critical point of discernment, He's your best friend Don't allow anything or anyone to quench it. And stop making excuses. Right? And stop leaving here afterwards and calling up your disgusting, unholy friends, the ones who could care less about Jesus Christ, and making up an excuse and saying, God loves me, he's letting me have this defunct, awful, wretched relationship because I'm lonely. Cut it out! You understand? Cut it out. That's called quenching the Spirit. We just saw in Holy Scripture, there's no fellowship with that person. None! You should be worried about evangelizing them. That should be the extent of your concern, and do not mask garbage romance. Oh, but I'm, I'm romantic with them because I'm going to evangelize them someday. Show me that in Holy Scripture and I'll teach it. It doesn't exist. And trust me, you're not that honorable. Nobody's that honorable. Nobody who claims to love someone enough that they want to evangelize them wants to destroy those chances by being romantic with them. No one. You're a liar. You're a thief of God's time. Does that make sense? That makes you even worse. Anyways, enough. You got it? That's what it means to quench the spirit. Do not despise. Look at verse 20. Do not despise prophecies. Teaching, in other words. What are you doing right now? You're listening to me, right? Some of you are like, la, 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 la. Why do you despise me? Why do you despise the teaching that coming from a holy pulpit like this one, why would you ever do that? You know the answer verse twenty one but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. If it's against the word of God, then guess what it's evil. abstain from every form of evil. Remember last week and uh, Sunday? The ends does not justify the means. You can't play that little game and say, oh, but the end will be good. Right? I'm doing this unholy thing right now because the end will be good. When, where in the Bible does it say that you can break God's law Um, just to make it to some pie-in-the-sky dream that you think God will be pleased with? Where does it ever say that you can compromise integrity to truth to get to the end goal that supposedly is good? Where does it ever say that? You tell me. It doesn't say that. Matter of fact, it vehemently speaks directly against such garbage. Okay. Okay. That's 22. Abstain from every form of evil. Verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Ah. Now my my soul can relax. Going through that, I'll tell you what, guys. You come up here next time and teach verses 19 through 22. Honest to goodness. Knowing what you know about American culture even. Knowing what you know about The disgustingness of human relationships and the ridiculousness of the excuses and the architected solutions to things as possibly useful as loneliness. You try coming up here and teach that stuff. It's grating on your soul. Grating with a capital T. Grating. Do you understand? So when I read verse 23, it's like ointment thank you now a reprieve now if you do that stuff if you abstain from every form of evil if you don't if you stop quenching the spirit now verse 23 may the god of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ he who calls you is faithful he will surely do it remember this it is God that sanctifies us. Up on the board. How about self-sanctification? Do not concoct your own solution to a problem that God wants to solve for you by grace. Do not concoct your own solution to a problem that God wants to solve for you by grace. Go to Romans 12.12. 12. Romans 12.12. 12. Very simple. Very simple. Romans twelve verse twelve. Do not concoct your own solution to a problem that God wants to solve for you by grace. Okay? Romans twelve, twelve. Rejoice in hope. Man, that's just that's ointment. You understand? It's just ointment. It's just you know what? Hope means there's something that's that's coming. Is that fair to say? There's something that's coming. God has something better for me. Um, the fiery dots are saying something completely opposite at this point. They're saying, drop that hope. It's keeping you from the good things that the world can give you. But the Bible says rejoice in that hope. Rejoice so much. You ready? Rejoice so much. And when you go home, read Hebrews 11. Okay? Okay? Rejoice so much that it doesn't even matter if you get the end result before you die. Let me say it again. Rejoice so much that it does in other words, you're fulfilled with this rejoicing in something that you say to yourself in faith or by faith, God will give it to me when it's, good in his timing. And he might say, hey, guess what? That's in heaven. And you say, okay, because I, I, I trust you, Lord, that the very best that you have for me is what you give me. The very best that you have for me. I don't have an answer for that. What? <laughs> Siri said, I don't have an answer for that. You wouldn't, you putz. Right? Because you're from the world made up by weirdos. I don't know how that happened. I'm like, what is going on? I don't have an answer for that. I didn't expect it. I'm from you. That was crazy. Rejoice in s- look. <laughs> Rejoice in such a way that you don't even care at the end of the day. Do you understand? Rejoice in such a way that you say, Lord, I trust you implicitly. I trust you to deliver up whatever is best for me in time. And I'm gonna sit back and stop losing sleep at night because I, my preconceptions about my life haven't been met. Right? My whatever that you know, the American dream has imploded upon itself. Rejoice that he's given you this hope. Be patient in tribulation. And then finally, verse 12, be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. So the recurring theme as of late in our studies has been up here on the board, man, women, Man covers both men and women. Man lacks faith. That's been the theme. Now, let's reflect on this for a moment. Is it fair to say that it typically scares us when we sniff out a little weakness in ourselves? I mean, do we get a little bit kind of like, "Uh uh-oh. I'm a little scared, right? I'm a little weak. Um, As self-aware, frail humans, we don't like to be vulnerable. I mean, it makes us uncomfortable. Is that fair? It does. It makes us uncomfortable. It's in those moments of frailty that our faith needs to thrive. It's in those moments of frailty that our faith needs to thrive. So concentrate. Think about it this way. Faith doesn't live in the presence of human strength. It lives in the absence of it. Faith doesn't live in the presence of human strength and human power. It lives in the absence of it. Here's an analogy. How can you tell how bright an outside light bulb is if you only turn it on in the daylight? How can you tell how bright an outside light bulb is if you only turn it on in the daylight? You can't. You can't tell. You don't know how far it's going to cast its light. You have to have darkness in order to see how bright the light is. Is that fair? Yeah. Furthermore, you don't realize its true value until it proves itself bright enough to guide you to the front door without tripping. In other words, you don't look at that light. If it's on during the day, you're probably going to be like, oh, turned that light on? If you're a father, right? Oh, turned that light on? Joey <laughs> sent me a meme not that long ago. I'm going to die because someone turned the light on. Someone forgot to shut the light Who? You know, it's, it's in the middle of the day, what good is a porch light? I mean, you still see that you're not going to trip. It's the same with your faith. Faith isn't tested in the light. It's tested in darkness. And I'm not saying it doesn't exist in the light, for you can, you know, you can still turn on an outside light and it has no less value, per se. It's not, I'm not saying that faith doesn't exist in the light, but you get the point. It's tested in darkness. What I'm saying is that you don't need that kind of faith we've been contemplating lately, that porch light, until darkness befalls you, until you're at that fork in the road, that precipice, right? And a lot of people claim to have faith when they're standing in the light. They say, you should see this light when it gets dark. It's huge. My porch light lights up the entire city block. Really? Have you ever tested that? Nope. Nope. Has ever been put to the test? Nope. But just look at it. It's magnificent, isn't it? Let's just stand there with our arms crossed. That's one heck of a porch light you got there. I know, right? So a lot of people have this claim to faith regarding standing in the light or while they're standing in the light and they trip all over themselves once darkness comes. What's the issue? There it is. Man lacks faith. That's the issue. You can say all you want about your faith, but the proof is in the pudding. What happens when you're lonely? What do you do? Be honest. I mean, that's, that's been the... Right? That's been the talking point. Loneliness? I don't, I don't know. Um, you pick it. Suppose you got a lot of pressure on you. What happens when you got a lot of pressure on you? A lot of um, concerns that have you know, befallen your life, let's say. Maybe, uh, maybe you've got a child, and the child gets really ill. Or a spouse, and the spouse is really ill. I don't know. Or a friend, and they're really ill. What do you do? What do you do? What happens when darkness comes on the scene? How do you respond? All right. Let's get back. Before I close, our primary passage, go to Proverbs 17.1. Believe it or not, that is, the, that is our message, right? Our message titled Proverbs 17, Wisdom, Part 22, and we're just going to get back to the first four verses. Crazy, right? I love it. Love it. Proverbs 17.1. I'll read it and then I'll close. I got one little thing to say. about it. Proverbs 17.1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. You remember all that the Spirit had to say on that in terms of wealth and power and that's a lot of it how we came to human power. A servant who deals wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share the inheritance as one of the brothers. The crucible is for silver. The furnace is for gold. The Lord tests hearts. He had an awful lot to say about that as well. The Lord tests hearts. He's probably doing that right now for some of you. An evildoer, verse 4, listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. So I've got to close, but before we depart, let's just, just to reconnect to where we left off from this a few weeks ago now, up here on the board, on the topic of verse 4, an evildoer listens to wicked lips. This is kind of where we left off in our progress in Proverbs 17. A person's nature is revealed by the type of his, his advice he or she accepts. A person's nature is revealed by the type of his advice he or she accepts. And that's what we've been gleaning from verse 4. Because an evildoer listens to wicked lips. Remember that? The whole economy. An evildoer, a person who does evil habitually, it's implied in this passage that we're talking about someone in the economy of Satan. Someone that, that you know, that their currency is creature credit. Um, you know it's an evil economy that's where an evil doer abides and so they don't want advice from a person in God's economy they don't want that advice because that vice is literally contrary to what they hold to be precious they would rather and I talked I alluded to this plenty of times this morning they would rather drag you from here to there See one of the frustrations for we believers is it's impossible say it with me it's what impossible for us to drag a person who is by nature abiding in satan's economy it's impossible for us to shoe on them into god's the only way they ever have access to god's economy is through believing in the lord and savior jesus christ to be actually saved. Remember scripture, you know, an unbeliever can't understand spiritually appraised things. In other words, they can never understand what you, as a believer, can understand. And so, if you look at, if you look at that dynamic, right? Believer, light, darkness, right? Like we saw with, uh, to, I think it was 2 Corinthians, right? If you look at that, that, that dynamic it 's a losing proposition for you didn't I just in a practical way describe what I said about thirty minutes ago? A believer's only hope is to give someone the gospel so that they can t- so that God can insert them into his economy and begin sanctifying them that 's the only hope a, a believer has there's no other reason for fellowship there's no other reason for Anything. Friendship with the world makes you what? An enemy of God. There's no other reason to be spending any real time, or definitely not emotions, or any kind of relationship building, beyond the gospel. Do you understand? Beyond that thing. That's the only hope for that person, which is why you don't muddy the situation with garbage uh, solutions like Oh, I'm going to show them how much I love them and how sweet I am so that I can attract them to, uh, to the gospel. Buddy, it don't work like that. You're not that slick. If God the Holy Spirit hasn't saved them, you sure in hell aren't. Your makeup and your hair and your muscles and your shoes and whatever it is you do, do you think you're attracting people with? Cut it out. It's all a counterfeit. It's all for naught. It's an insult to God the Holy Spirit whose job is to actually save people. Your job is to get them into this economy. Does that make sense? So the only option, really, other than the gospel taking that person from here to there, is for you to be dragged in that direction. Because we know from Holy Scripture that even a believer can fail and spend some time in that economy. Do you see the dynamic I just laid out? Right? There's only one way that the, that the equation can go in this direction. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a ton of ways that you can go this way. A bunch of fiery darts. A lot of plan B's out there, aren't there? Do you understand? Which is why the Spirit presented that passage this morning on who you fellowship with. Unless you have the honorable, the honorable intention of having and seeing this person saved, then you dishonor the one who even died for your sins you dishonor God the Holy Spirit's ministry in that person's life. Why? Because you lack faith. You want what you want. You want your little friendship. You want your cake and eat it too. You want to play all these little games. You want to do all that stuff because you lack faith. This ain't about God. Don't church it up. Don't church it up. Don't dress up the pig. Right? Right? Don't take all these claims like you love people. I love people so much. All I try to do is just befriend them all and bring them there and then I sleep with them and then I say, do you you love Jesus? (laughs) What? Wait a minute, what? Do you understand again that? Do Do you understand? There's only one way. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ and not anybody in here can ever claim they've ever saved a single soul. The very best we can do is what the Bible, what Jesus said in the Great Commission. Give him the gospel. See what he does with that thing. If you really care about people and you don't care about your ridiculous self for a moment, give that person the gospel and walk away. I don't mean like that. Okay, I got it. See you later. You know what I'm saying, right? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that should be the focal point. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's the only way a person will ever meet you in the sphere that matters, the economy that matters. If you abandon that because you lack faith, you inevitably, do you understand? Without fail, always have to compromise and go in that direction. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible truth that you've presented to us this morning. Thank you for setting us free by it. Thank you for encouraging us. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love, Father. Thank you for the Spirit's fervency, his fire, and may we not quench him, Father. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.